uh, for Bible study tonight. I, I love the study. I love the teaching. I love the sharing. I love the questions. So let's let's go ahead and, and get and get started here. Before we do, um, is there? I just I guess I should ask. Um, I just take a moment here to make sure I have my my technology uh, sorted out here. Um, I have a really fun. Uh, uh, title tonight that I think is uh, it just uh, I, I'm going to enjoy it. So my title is simply this: When God pounds the table. Um, have you ever been at a table and there's an argument going on, and somewhere, some point of the argument, somebody is just so uh, in the moment, they're so uh, vigorous, shall we say, in their opinion that they. They literally, they say something and when they say it, they pound the table. <laughs> um, that usually is an image of when you're so in the moment and the point or the uh, opinion or the point of view is so strong that you cannot just say it. It's like you have to emphasize it somehow. And if we all know what that looks like one to another or at a dinner table or sitting with your family, uh, it makes you ask the question, if you were having a conversation with God and he had something that it meant so much to him that when he said it, he involuntarily pounded the table, uh, what, what would that subject, what would that theme, what would that lesson be? Well, <laughs> I found it in the Bible and I'm super excited to share it with you. So uh, let me first of all start here with a statement that many of you would make and you would understand what I mean by it. And that is simply this life. Life is relationships. Uh, everything else is just details. Now, I'm going to say it again. I want you to think about it. Life is relationships. Uh, the rest of it is just details. Um, think about it differently. Ministry is just relationships. Uh, everything else is details. I think you could take it further than that. And you can say uh, a lot of our career, a lot of our business opportunities, a lot of our educational um, opportunities, uh, you would not be far wrong if you were simply to say um, that most of this is in the context of relationships. Everything else is just uh, is just details. Everything uh, in life that truly matters can be boiled boiled down uh, to relationships. And so, let me say this to all of you: uh, If we fell at relationships, then we fell at life. Now, nothing I've said here would shock anyone. I think if you've had any exposure at all to um, uh, life and church and ministry and even business and career and whatever your current focus is, if you fail to perceive how much of it, how much of your future opportunities, how much of your future success is directly directly built upon relationships, then I I, I think you haven't lived long enough yet. Um, we are fundamentally placed in a web of relationships and we rise and fall in the integrating of those relationships. So, so why am I making this point? Well, uh, if we're going to make a difference at all in our society as believers, if we are going to have a light 
that shines, um, it's going to happen in the context of relationships. So let me say it a little differently and let me say it to myself and hit all you guys by accident. Um, if I don't have relationships, the truth I have will have no way to make a difference in my world. If I don't have relationships, the prayer I would pray will always be limited by my inability to see the needs around me because all of those needs are perceived through relationships. Um, I want to be spiritually powerful, if that is such a thing. Uh, I don't have any spiritual power, but I want to be that ladder between heaven and earth where the power of God can be manifest in my world. I know you do too. Um, if we fell in relationships, almost nothing else we have will matter either that much or near as much as it should because we have failed at relationships. All right, so I've placed that to, at your attention here and I have stated it for you to consider and let's take the next step here. Um, the first problem in the Bible is not sin. The, the first problem in the world was solitude. Now think about that for a moment. Uh, I, as a Bible teacher and a Bible student, if you would have caught me at any number of the years of my life and asked me, you know, what was the first big problem in the in the Bible, I, I would have said sin. Um, but I would have missed something important here. The first problem in the Garden of Eden is not sin; it's solitude. Everything God had done, He pronounces good. But when He realizes Adam is alone he says this it is not good that he is alone um, this is before sin has come solitude is a problem whether or not you are living a sinless life now just so you know none of us are living a sinless life <laughs> and all of us need mercy and you have your phones muted so i'll say amen for you amen all of us need repentance all of us need an attitude and a lifestyle of repentance and it needs to be a regular daily thing we humble ourselves we confess our sin we turn away repent of that sin and we confess we're following Jesus. We intentionalize, we speak it, not that, but this. I'm not just an American trying to make a million. I'm trying to be a Jesus follower, not that, this. Um, that needs to be a regular part of our life. And I think it's interesting that the Lord puts this in the story that is given to us in the book of generation, uh, excuse me, Genesis, to show this first reality that social isolation um, leads to this unhealthy, uh, non-tenable uh, reality. Now, we could stop there, but it keeps going off of the Word of God. The whole point of the Lord redeeming a church and then placing us inside that church and using the language of the body of Christ um, is that realization that we need each other. There, there. I can't think of a stronger illustration um, that you would you would teach from than this idea of the body. Uh, and so. Our deepest problems, yes, are sin, but our first problem was isolation. And Proverbs warns 
Proverbs 18 and 1, uh, that the one who isolates himself breaks out against all sound judgment. So let me say it this way. I need you. Uh, You need others. Uh, You may not specifically need me, but you need others in your life. And this is an, uh, this is not accident. This is how God has made us. Now stay with me. We're talking about how God pounds the table. Okay. He says something and he pounds the table when he says it. We are placed to make a difference in this world. God's heart is to embrace, heal, include, redeem, adopt uh, broken humanity, sinful humanity. That's how we all of us got here. Um, If we miss that, um, then we will be, as it were, uh, it's not that we will have no truth, it's that we will have missed the heart of God. Because the risk is not that we don't have a religion whereby to be religious. Uh, the challenge is, do we have the heart of the Lord manifest? Are we, are we following him? Not just quoting him. You understand what I'm saying? Following him. Uh, I want to show you that. So if we're going to make a difference in our world, there's two ways. Biblically, that's going to happen. The first one is our sharing of the gospel. There is hope for fallen humanity. We share the gospel and we do that in many different ways. Uh, I won't take time to get into them, but it's everything from your ordinary life to the testimony you give to when you're silent to when you speak. Uh, all of that is a sharing of the gospel. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation uh, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. Excuse me. I haven't been preaching, and so my voice is a little bit lazy. So, all right, so the first way in which we really impact our world is just with the message of the gospel. That's primarily some method of us sharing, all right? Think, remember that word, some method of us sharing, some method of us sharing. We all do it differently, and that's okay. Um, we're all called to do it. Some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. We're all called to do it. What's the difference? Well, the introverts will share differently than extroverts will share. That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Um, you still share, you just do it differently on the basis of your unique personality. So this is sharing the gospel. The second way we make a difference in our world is showing the gospel. So first we shared it. The second way we do it is show it. Uh, This is the manifestation of the gospel in our lives. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. All right, so catching everybody up who's coming in. Um, We are called to make a difference in this world. We only way we can do that is through relationships with people. Life is relationships. Ministry is relationships. Uh, The difference we make in the world in which God has placed us is us sharing the gospel and 
showing the gospel inside these relationships. If we do not have relationships, it won't matter how much Bible we know, there will be no field ready for harvest because we have no relationships. So uh, let me now take you one step further. When we follow Jesus, the motivation for relationships should begin to change. Now, everybody needs relationships. It's not good for us to be alone. Everybody needs friends. You should value your friends. You should invest in your friends. You should value your church. You should invest in your church. Your life will be better. You'll be stronger. You'll be happier. You know this. You could be teaching this right now because you know this is absolutely true. But when we follow in the path Jesus has shown us, um, there is a change of motivation. You see, as, as normal people, uh, we use relationships to fulfill our needs. This is normal humanity. It's not all good or all bad. It just is. We use relationships to fulfill our own needs. But Jesus comes and he gives us a completely different way of looking at relationships. And all of a sudden, instead of using relationships, being motivated to use relationships to fulfill our needs, the Lord invites us to change that. And we now use relationships to fulfill other people's needs. Now, this is about as simple uh, as I can make it of what it should feel like when our heart begins to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. There should be this sense of, I am now engaged in a different type of kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. And in this upside down kingdom, if I wanna have, I give. So if I want to be blessed, I bless. If we miss this, it won't matter if we have some high church style. It won't matter if we have the best. These are fundamental Christianity. If we miss this, it should, uh, it, it changes what it means to be Christians if we miss it. But if we get it right, we understand that there's this transition that begins to happen as we are changed by the love of God in our heart. We become members of this upside down kingdom where to have, we give, and to be blessed, we bless. And so I think all of you understand that. The challenge is not understanding it, at least it's not for me, the challenge is living it. Uh, the challenge is living it. And so I want to read a passage of scripture uh, to you. Um, I actually, I, I've put the, I've copied the text here, but I'm afraid I did not uh, put the reference in the PowerPoint. So just trust me that this is directly copied from the Bible, okay? I didn't put it in the PowerPoint. Now, uh, I, I want to say Luke 19. I want to say Luke 19, but that's just a total guess because my brain has done some cartwheels since then. So now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I, As an evangelist, I, I preached a message with that title, We Wish to See Jesus. Verse 22, uh, Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. 
what do they tell them? Well, there, there's people here who want to see you. Um, that's what they told them. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, a couple of weeks back, we talked about how um, oftentimes God defines glory different than we do. Uh, he's talking about the fact that he's about to be crucified between heaven and earth, but he still calls it glorified. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. <clears throat> Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. All right. Now we're getting back to the same thing that I, I've been talking about in this upside down kingdom. As long as I serve me, I remain alone. And the path to real connection, the path to real ministry is when I change from a kingdom of serving self to a kingdom of serving others. And the way I am blessed is to bless. Now, this is not the religious inheritance that these these people have. Um, they're very religious, uh, but they have excluded people they don't approve of. They have been unable to accept anybody they do not approve of, which is, you know, the most common thing in uh, almost all religious history. You do not accept people you do not approve of. Uh, this is one of the things that even today churches struggle and they find hard with is how do we accept people um, that we don't approve of? Um, and so typically what churches do is they put people on probation. And then if they don't line up in a certain amount of time, then they uh, they let them know that they need to move along and they do it with a million little cuts. Um, one of the things I love about First Church is we have worked hard at separating approval from acceptance. Um, we love a lot of people we do not even approve of a little bit, <laughs> but we love them. Uh, I think that is what Jesus shows us. Yeah, you pick a gospel at random and read it. And if you don't see that, go back and read it again because you missed something big. Um, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Now, verse 27, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Okay, so this is, uh, as a Bible student, as a Bible teacher, this is compression. The whole of the story is being compressed into a moment where Jesus is making a claim, a profound statement of what it means to be a part of this kingdom that he's establishing and invite us to follow in his steps to deny ourselves and take up our cross our ministry purpose my life for others and then follow him jesus says look it's it's time let's 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 back up i i fall to the ground and die if i don't do that this is all for nothing in fact if you're going to follow me you have to understand this that if you're living for you you're, you make sense to the world, but you don't fit in a heavenly kingdom where you have to turn away from self 
to include others. So let me say it again. Life is relationships. Ministry is relationships. But the motivation for us changes. Our motivation changes. Instead of like the average bear, (laughs) instead of the average Joe uh, or Jane using relationships to satisfy their needs, we take up a cross of ministry purpose and we now use relationships to serve other people's needs and this is what this is what Jesus is saying if if you try to save your life if you serve self you will miss it so uh, Jesus says well let me let me read this last one if anyone serves me the father will honor him now is my soul troubled this is hard even for me Jesus is saying This is hard even for me, but what should I say, even though it's hard, even for me? Father, save me from this hour? For this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice speaks from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, the crowd did not... This is another great teaching example. When God speaks, not everybody hears it with clarity. The crowd stood there and said that it had thundered. What actually had happened, God said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. But to the crowd that stood there and heard it, said that it had thundered. So Jesus is saying, I have come for others. I've come to lay my life down for others. I'm establishing a kingdom where I don't use relationships to serve my needs. I use relationships to serve other people's needs. And even though this is scary, even to me, should I try to get out of it? No, this is the reason I am here. And that's when God speaks and pounds the table when he says it, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Imagine at a table, a table, somebody says something emphatically and they pound the table when they say it, they pound the table. I don't know if you heard that, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed pounding the table. The Lord says, this is the whole thing right here. Turn away from self, turn away from using others to fulfill your needs and use those relationships to meet other people's needs in the crowd. All they hear is the pounding on the table. The Lord is saying, this is it. This is the whole story. I'm not looking for a way to have my cake and eat it too, Jesus says. This is why I'm here. Uh, Life is relationships, ministry is relationships. The difference is in the kingdom of God. We use relationships to bless. We use relationships to encourage. We use relationships to serve in the world. Relationships are used to fulfill my needs, wants, and wishes. In the kingdom of God, relationships are for others. The crowd stood there and heard it and said that it had thundered. God had pounded the table. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world for now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And and he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. All right. So this is the gospel. Now, I want to talk a little bit about 
uh, a book I read a few years back. Um, Flavel Leakley, uh, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing his name just exactly right, but he wrote a book entitled Why Churches Grow. And he made a set of uh, observances uh, that I, I've, I've pulled some of them out here on page 46, excuse me, 64. Uh, quote, the data presented in these tables strongly support the idea that establishment of a pattern of friendship is an important part of the conversion process. In other words, if you're wondering people who come to God, if they're going to last, if they're going to stick, um, you can almost statistically, uh, not in each individual case, but statistically, um, to answer the question of whether or not they'll still be there in a year, you can ask yourself this question, have they made at least five friendships in the church? And if they have, there's a very high probability that they'll still be there a year from now. If they haven't, there's a very high probability they won't be there um, because it's not good for us to be alone. We need connection. Uh, page uh, 53, thus the Christ who lives in the heart of the individual members of that congregation is formed in the heart of the new convert. A personal relationship is essential in the process. Um, also, ver, uh, page 54, these data suggest that when subjects formed, people formed personal relationships with members of the congregation, they were likely to remain faithful. When they did not form such personal relationships, they were likely to drop out of uh, the church. In other words, if people have a religious experience, but they do not have connection, if they do not have relationships, um, there's a very high probability that they will lose their way and lose their faith all because it's not good for man or woman <laughs> to be alone. Um, so when there is a personal relationship involved, a person is much more likely statistically across all denominations, they're much more likely to convert. Secondly, they're much more likely to stay converted if they have a personal uh, <clears throat> relationship. So uh, this is a survey done by the Institute for American Church Growth. They surveyed 10,000 people and they asked this question, what was responsible for your coming to Christ and to this church. And below is uh, the count out. Uh, about 2% of people admit that they had a special need. 3% uh, of people just walked in. We get some of those. Um, the biggest one, uh, except for the last one, is whether or not they like the preacher. A whole 6%, they stick around whether or not they like the preacher. Um, number four, 1% says that they just visited and it kind of stuck and they that's how they got there. Uh, 5% said, I like the Bible classes. That's another version of them liking the, the speaker or the minister or ministers. <clears throat> Uh, uh, the next one, they attended a gospel meeting. That's less of half of percent. Three percent liked the programs the church did. But here's the big one. Seventy nine percent of people when asked how they ended up in the church, surveyed over 10,000. They all say this. I, a friend or a relevant, a, a relative brought me to church. A friend or a relative brought me to church. Why is that so high? Go back to Genesis. It's not good to be alone. Even if you're in church, it's not good to be alone. Even if you have truth, it's not good to be alone. Even if you have no sin, which just in case you were wondering, I'm not talking about you, you have sin. <laughs> Even if you have no sin, 
it's still not good to be alone. The motivation changes in the kingdom of God. We commit to relationships, not to serve the self. That's what everybody does. Even the, it's like Jesus said, even the heathen do that. Um, they, we commit to relationships to serve others. So those of you who have been serving the Lord long enough to consider yourself a strong believer, I want to challenge you and me with this. How committed are we to relationships of service, of sharing, of encouragement, and of Christian charity, love to other people. If we're not committed to those relationships, it won't matter how spiritual we think we are because we will have no field in which to work. Uh, Jesus' famous prayer request, <clears throat> talk about his, the fields are ripe, ready for harvest. Um, he just didn't have laborers in the fields. <clears throat> Let me say that differently. The people who knew how to harvest <clears throat> didn't have relationships with the people who needed hope. That's what a worker in the kingdom of God does. You work inside of relationships <clears throat> and you make commitments inside of relationships. As a believer, the motivation changes. Relationships are not about fulfilling our needs. They're about fulfilling other people's needs. The gospel, I want to end with this. The gospel is all about right relationships. Christians rightly think about salvation as forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but it's more than that. <clears throat> Jesus gives everybody who believes in him and trusts him the privilege of becoming his friend. In fact, a lot of the examples of what Christ did for us is used, told to us in the language of friendship. Greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friend. Let me show you one more way in which the gospel enables relationships. John 17 to 3, Jesus says this, this is eternal life. Want to know what eternal life is? That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus at Calvary makes a way for us to have a renewed relationship with God. We who were separated can become friends. It's not good for man to be alone. The Lord has empowered us to have unity with God. Through the gospel, we are able to have an intimate relationship with God. That's the point of forgiveness. That's the point of Jesus becoming our righteousness. That's the point of the us getting invited, the God inviting us to the wedding marriage supper, and then we don't have anything to wear, and he gives us a cloak to wear. You see, he's the one able to do it. Um, the Apostle John wrote to believers for a specific purpose, and uh, he's explaining himself, 1 John 1, and 3, and 4, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Note that, fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It's not good to be alone. <clears throat> when we have fellowship one to another, that's like horizontal fellowship. And then when we have vertical connection with God, that's like <laughs> love God, love people. You have this cross of vertical connection and horizontal connection. And John says those two things connected to God, connected one to another, it's completed joy so that our joy may be 
complete. So we are able to have friendship with God. We're able to have we're able to have friendship one with another. And this is what the gospel has enabled on our on our behalf. So let me re- just review by uh, hitting the high points, and then I will open it up for questions. Number one, life is relationships. Uh, ministry is relationships. Um, if you have everything in the world, but you have no one to celebrate it with, I'm telling you, you won't it, you won't experience it. Because if you don't have someone to experience it with, there is. Uh, it's almost as though you don't have it. It's actually worse than that, because. It's all you have, but it's meaningless because there's no one to sell it, to, 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 to share it with. Uh, life is relationships, ministry is relationships. But as a believer, the motivation of the relationship changes. And this is what I wanna to say to every one of you strong believers, every one of you strong believers, our motivation changes when we join this upside down kingdom called the kingdom of God. And that is this, we don't use relationships to serve our needs. We use relationships to serve other people's needs. And when we do that, we discover that it is better to give than it is to receive. I am more blessed with encouragement when I encourage others than if I had tried to get manipulate others to encourage me. I am a part of this upside down kingdom where I have a different motivation for relationships. So all of you who are strong believers, I am asking you to not just do this, but to pray the Lord would enable your capacity to do this, to up your ability to do this. Um, Serving God is not about perfecting self. There's a lot of things in ourselves that need to be perfected. There's a lot of things in me that hopefully I'm doing better than I did last year and better than the year before, but that's not really what the motivation is. I'm never going to be perfected. I'm going to need a covering so the death angel, angel passes over. But as that happens, as I am given the goodness that I do not deserve and given the righteousness that I do not deserve and can never attain, it changes my heart. And by being changed, I am changed in my motivation where I now use relationships to serve others. So um, I wish that I could wave a wand and change um, what a lot of people think Christianity is um, because um, it's so easy to get caught up into this focused on self, fixing self, my needs, my blessings, my wants, my claims to actually being a real Christian, (laughs) which is turn away from me and my wants and wishes and lusts to turn away from that and say, how can I give my life for others? As long as I'm trying to perfect me, as long as I'm staring into my navel, I am blind to the purpose. And that is God has placed these relationships in my life and I have to have a different motivation. And I'm going on and on, I'm gonna quit. If you're a strong believer, I want you to pray and I want you to say in that prayer, somehow your way, your style, your words, God help me to see the relationships in my life as my harvest field, white and ready for harvest. 
Because if I do not see the relationships in my life as my harvest field, then I don't know what I'm waiting for. I don't know what I'm looking for. All there is left to do is self-obsess. And so that's enough of that. All right. Um, Let me see how we're doing on time. We're doing good. Um, Okay. We have a good question here. This is a good question. What if you aren't a social person or what if you are an introvert and you're not comfortable being around people? I want to say thank you for asking that question. If nobody asked it, I had a note jotted down to create a phantom question (laughs) and ask it for you all. Um, What if you are not a social person um, and or what if you are an introvert and you are not comfortable being around other people? I want to first of all say this. There's a reason why Jesus describes this style of life as taking up your cross. Ministry is not supposed to be something that feels like the celebration of us. It should be something that feels like the sacrifice of us. (laughs) Yeah, I know nobody's excited about that. (laughs) But I'm telling you... Jesus doesn't say that there's no, that the problem isn't not enough people are following him. He doesn't just say, follow me. Um, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross. I used to preach a message entitled followers without crosses, um, because I think there's a temptation in all of our lives to be a follower without a cross. We're a follower, but you'll notice followers without a cross always want loaves and fishes. They always want signs and wonders. They always want experiences because they are their own spiritual purpose. I think maybe I should say that again. (laughs) You always want God to do something for you. You want the God to impress you somehow. You want God to give you some experience because you are your own spiritual purpose. This is the opposite of an upside down kingdom. Um, And what God wants you to do, do is be part of the ones handing out the loaves and fishes. So I'll say this, you have to find the relationships in your life where you can take a chance and start stretching yourself. It can be as simple as a text. It can be as simple as finding somebody who is like you. Not everybody we're trying to reach is extroverts. And let me tell you a secret. Introverts are almost never reached by extroverts. I don't know if you know that, but um, extroverts drive introverts crazy. That or they marry them, one or the other. (laughs) Um, uh, There's people like you. And so what I, the first thing I want to do is let me say this to myself because I am, I hide it well, but I am an introvert. If you gave me a day off, I would disappear with a book. I would not go hang out at my neighbor's house. I'm an introvert. So I have deep sympathy. And if you give me my first choice, I'm always going to choose some version of isolation from, oh, let's all just hang out and, you know, cook. I mean, I'll show up and eat, but that's, I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm not saying this to be judgmental. I'm saying I have to realize, first of all, that it should feel like sacrifice and I can't give myself a cop out just because it's not natural for me. Um, I have to do it intentionally in the same manner. I intentionally pray. I intentionally repent. I intentionally fast. I intentionally read the Bible. I intentionally invest in relationships. Relationships are my harvest field. And so once you realize you're not doing it for you, 
it gets easier. So I should repeat myself. Once you realize you're not doing it for you, it gets easier. Once you realize, you ask yourself the question, who needs encouragement? And you think of people in your life, it gets much easier. I promise you, try it. Once you change the motivation, it's almost as though the spirit begins to speak you through you because you're not using relationships to please yourself you're use, or, or serve yourself or bless yourself. You're using them to do others. Um, so uh, what are, this is a good, good question. What are some practical everyday actions we can do inside relationships to serve others through our relationships? And how does that influence people to move closer to uh, Jesus? Well, you'll notice if you look at the fruit of the spirit, we talked about a couple weeks back, the fruit of the Spirit, every one of those fruit of the Spirit are something that can only be perceived by someone in your life. In other words, every fruit that God gives you to grow, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, it's something that is all, has to be perceived by somebody in your life. Um, that I find that fascinating, and I, I keep coming back to that. And so, as the Spirit of the Lord makes us long-suffering, kind, gentle, um, preferring others over ourselves, not easily puffed up, not quick to anger, uh, whatsoever is good, whatever is pure, the believes good, doesn't believe in negative report, all of these things that you've heard a thousand Bible studies and messages on, every single one of them is a testimony if there's someone in your life in a relationship. So practical ways, first of all, is this. Um, I would say this, start with kindness, start with kindness, start with kindness. Um, kindness is, uh, kindness is rare enough that it gets noticed, all right? After kindness, start with adding spirit, then from kindness, go to adding spiritual value. If they, you're kind, they have a need, you tell them you're praying for them. You have to become the voice of God to people. I'm gonna pray for you. I, I, I know you may, you don't go to church like I do. I know it's okay, but I want you to know I'm praying for you, okay? I'm praying for you. You may not be, you know, a holy roller like me, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. Find your voice. So in the beginning, it's very simple. Put yourself out there, be kind. And then you're, you start praying, God, show me the moment when I can tell someone I'm going to believe with them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray against that. Now you start becoming, and I think there's more, but I, those are just two off the top of my head um, that I, I think is the easiest thing in the world. Start with kindness, which is harder than you think because all of us are busy. All of us want to get our to-do to list done and we don't care about other people's to-do list. We care about ours. Let's be honest. Um, start with kindness and from kindness, you'll notice it's much easier to start building these relationships. One other thing on that subject, the older we get, oftentimes the harder it is to make friends um, because people, are, are, our generation needs us less. Um, it can be harder uh, as we get older. Now, in your 20s, everybody's so, in your teens and 20s, everybody's so needy. And so, you know, you, you make friends all over. They don't, most of them don't last, but you're also needy and open. And let's go to Starbucks and hang out. People in their 50s do not go to Starbucks and hang out. Um, first of all, they're mad about how much coffee costs there. Um, but I'm cutting up. But I, I just want you to see um, if we start with kindness, the next door may open. And as quick as possible, we want to become the voice of God to people. The worst thing we can do is try to be the voice of God to somebody when we aren't kind. And this happens a lot with church people. You aren't even kind, but you want to be the voice of the Lord in their life. You aren't even nice to them, 
You didn't even notice that they're going through a divorce. You didn't notice that their kid was going through a tough time. You don't, you didn't even notice when they were sick, but you want to be the God's voice in their life. Doesn't work. I'm sorry. I mean, maybe you can make it work. I haven't seen anybody else make it work. All right. So um, I need to see relationships as the field of harvest in my life. And I make a difference simply by turning away from self. And I use those relationships to bless others, not to ask them to bless me. Um, Beverly noted here. Uh, about the fasting chapter, Isaiah 58 says nothing about restricting food, but everything about humbling self and serving others. If thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. You know, Beverly, that is so absolutely true. And I need to do, I, you know what, you just, you just inspired me to... To look at that chapter differently because I, you are exactly right. Um, what is fasting? Fasting is to discipline self so that you convince your self-conscious that you are more than just a temporal consumer, but you have an eternal purpose in your life. You're trying to get a message to your subconscious that you're not just a guy getting a paycheck going to cook out on Saturday. You're a child of God. You have a covenant and nothing gets the attention of self like fasting. Nothing disciplines self like fasting. And it's so simple and it's so, it's so hard. It's so simple and it's so hard. Um, it challenges us at the very base level. Um, and, you know, if we're not careful, we end up with very little self-discipline, but a huge religious chip on our shoulder and religious vanity. And, you know, we dismiss people. It's like, you know, we condemn the person trying to struggling with drugs and we can't stop eating sugar. You know what I mean? It's like um, there's something there. And I absolutely uh, like the way in which fasting is a turn away from self in the same manner of serving relationships, serving others is a turn away from self. And so Jesus says, this is why I came. This is why I came. And God pounds the table and says, yes, this I have glorified and I will glorify again. God pounds the table as if to say, this is the whole thing right here. This is what I'm trying to get to get through to you. It's not about uh, religion. If we're not careful, and this is the story of most religion, religion is, um, first of all, how to manipulate God's in your favor. That's the, the idol uh, phase, how to manipulate the gods to give you what you want. It's a transactional relationship. I'm going to preach about this more soon. Um, I don't want to ruin it, but uh, preaching is the art of repeating yourself. So I'll go ahead and say this. Idolatry is a transactional relationship. I do for you, you do for me. I give you your favorite goat, you give me a good harvest. It's transactional. It is to manipulate God in your favor. It is to out-clever God. Okay, that's the idol face. And then it, as history progresses and as Christianity and begins to, you know, monotheism, uh, that's the rise of ethics. 
Because before, when you have multiple gods, you can go to whichever God's going to give you whatever you want. And if you want to fight, you go to the God of war. If you want to make peace, you go to the God of peace. There's no ethics. Ethics does not rise. In other words, right and wrong, absolute right and wrong, doesn't really begin to rise um, in the thinking of the world until you settle on monotheism because there's no other God you can go to to play against each other. There's a right and a wrong, and that's one of the inheritance of, of monotheism. Well, once you have monotheism, religion, not Christianity, religion turns from manipulating God to reassuring self. That's the change. You reassure self. You can see this is in the story of uh, Christian theology, which I'm boring some of you, and so I apologize mildly, but I get to be a nerd too. Uh, this uh, finds its ultimate expression in Calvinism, where there is people who were never intended. God makes people who were never intended to be saved. They're just like automatons. And so then God, having made them to be damned, damns them because they've done a good job of fulfilling what he made them to do. Do you see the absurdity of this? All this is because people need to reassure themselves when you have an absolute right and wrong and you stand before the, the majesty of an infinite God who is judging us on what we do say, etc. What do you do? Well, if you can't manipulate them, you reassure yourself. And Christianity turns into this, save me, perfect me, reassure me, heal me, bless me. And this crowd, this passage here in the, that we read, where I used the context of God pounding the table, um, th this is what the people are wanting from Jesus. They're, they're wanting all of this. They want more religion. And Jesus is saying, no, it's time for me to be lifted up. It's not about, I'm, I'm repeating myself. So I'll, I'll stop repeating myself. Um, uh, how do we trust? Uh, Leah asks, how do we trust people? Well, um, if you have been uh, hurt, um, there's a, a psychological component to that and there is a spiritual component to it. And um, let, me just, let me just say, everybody's been hurt and everybody feels every hurt to the limit of their ability. And so you can't look at someone who's been hurt less than you and say, oh, they don't deserve to feel that way because they haven't gone through what I've gone through. That's just another form of vanity. Um, whatever you have, you feel to the maximum ability. And after that, it's just this kind of various types of crazy. And so everybody's been hurt. Some people have gone through horrifying things. Um, we've all been hurt. Um, and we all have access to a healer. Um, we cannot, we cannot try to do in the flesh what can only be done in the spirit. And so if you have had circumstances in your life where people have hurt you, um, I want to just say this to you. They hurt Jesus too. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't mean that ugly. Um, I say this to myself. You ask my wife, I say this to myself a lot whenever I'm like feeling I'm hurting and feeling whatever. Um, they hurt, hurt, they hurt Jesus too. So um, I, I would say this, um, there's a lot of blessing you can do without needing to trust them. Remember, your goal is to serve them, not ask them to serve you. And so there's a lot of blessing, there's a lot of encouragement that you can do without putting yourself in a situation where 
um, they that you have to trust them. And so the first thing I want to do for all of us is to take away of our excuses as to why we are not investing in relationships. I want to, if you've noticed that every single time there's been a question like that, I've tried to take away your, your excuses, but I want you to know, first I've tried to, I want to take away mine. Um, and so um, let's take away our excuses. Um, it will feel like we are giving of ourselves in sacrifice. It will not feel like we are being basked in royalty. Deny the self, unless you fall to the ground and die, you abide alone, serve others, put yourself out there for others. However, understand what you can and cannot do. Um, pray for the wisdom to know the difference. Um, if you try to do something you cannot do, the frustration will overwhelm you and you'll quit trying. Um, you can't support people. <laughs> you can't pay people's light bill. You can pay it once. You understand what I'm saying? Um, that, that's not, if you put yourself in a situation like that, um, you're not acting acting in wisdom. Um, so I, 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 I'm not trying to create this guilt complex here where you never can do enough. You never, that, that's not the point. The point is I don't exist for me. I exist to give, to serve, to share. The world uses relationships to serve themselves. The kingdom of God uses relationships to bless the world. And this all ties in together, right? In the same time, Jesus is going to drive them out of the temple. They're set up in the court of the Gentiles. Why are they in the court of Gentiles? Because there's no Gentiles there. The Jews have totally ran the Gentiles off. And now they turn it into a marketplace. And what does Jesus say? This was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, but you've made it a den of thieves. And so um, yeah, I, I could go on and on. We got to quit. I'm, I'm, I've used up my hour. Um, I have one more question here. Is it healthy? Uh, well, let me just say, if I don't answer a question perfectly, I apologize. Um, I'm doing this off the top of my head. Um, is it healthy for a relationship to be one-sided and went and what do you do when people keep taking advantage of you in relationships? You start arranging things where it's hard for them to take advantage of you. Um, we are harmless as serpent. Uh, we're uh, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Um, and so you, you um, in other words, just because you say no, doesn't mean you're a bad person. Jesus said no a lot. In fact, most of the stuff I ask God for, God says no to. <laughs> no is not bad. So I don't want to create this environment where you only the only thing you can do is just say yes to everybody. That is not what you're called to do. In fact, if you say yes to everything, you are enabling the problem. Um, and so uh, there is a there is a there is a way for you to be a blessing without allowing them to take advantage of you. Um, is it easy? Uh, no. And that's where prayer is going to make the difference. I also want to say, when you realize that they are not receiving, you don't close the door. You don't close the door and shut the friendship off. But neither do you try to force feed them. Because this is what you do. You just pray. Lord, you'll know when the moment's right and the Lord will send a crisis. And if you're there and you are, it might be, 
not only, I'm not saying it'll definitely thing happen, but it might be that the crisis they are facing is um, the door for you to be a witness to them. Remember, um, we want to be like God. Don't try to fix people's problems. Try to fix people. God's not much interested in our problems, but he's very much interested in us. And if we need God to fix our problems, then we're not fixed. Now, I'm not talking about sin. That's a spiritual thing. That's different. I'm talking about stewardship and testimony. Um, and so, all right, so we, we've got we've to draw this in. And I keep throwing in things that could take a whole Bible study themselves. But in my defense, <laughs> um, I, 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 I don't know what to say. Um, that's enough. Let's, let's, let's round this up here. I love you. Ed's waving, trying to get me off the, to get off the screen. He's like, my God, shut up, pastor. My wife's sending me texts. Honey, don't you think you need to start winding it up? Um, yes, I need to start winding it up. Love you all. Let's pray together, and then we'll go on with our evening. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness in our life. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for these wonderful people, God. It's the honor of my life to have a field in which to work. It is the honor of my life to have people that I can integrate my faith with, I can integrate my efforts with, I can pray for and be prayed for by, I can encourage and be encouraged by. I'm always spiritually incomplete in myself. You have to put me in a body. I'm always limited in myself. You have to connect me with others. What I can do with the body is ever so much more than what I could do on myself. But Lord, if I can be saved from a worldly view of using relationships to serve my needs and be transformed to a spiritual view that's typified by the cross, typified by turning away from self and pleasing self and serving and praying, encouraging, loving others. Let my motivations be changed, oh God. Let it start right here so it flows naturally into everyone that I know, every friend I have. I don't use relationships to meet my needs. I use relationships to be a blessing to others and strengthen and encourage and include others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, sorry I went long, but it's been a whole week. So it's been two weeks. So I've got a lot to say. I'm preaching three hours on Sunday. No, just kidding. Uh, love you. God bless you. Have a great week. Uh, we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.